Here we are on the first Sunday of 2020. Well, now we have to get used to that, 2020. I want us just to pause for a moment, remind ourselves that God has graciously given us the gift of a new year. And the question is, how are you going to use that gift? 52 weeks, 366 days, every day is new. Are we going to use that year for our own honor and glory, or are we going to direct it, all our attention and efforts toward God? I I tried to imagine what Sioux Falls could be like a year from now, could be like a year from now, if everyone from Cross Point Church committed themselves to showing God's love to someone else once a week. Or or what if we did it as families, not just as individuals? What What if we tried to come up with some way that we could demonstrate the fact that God loves us and because he loves us we want to do something for somebody else and and whether you do it once a day or once a week or once a month what would what would the city of Sioux Falls be like if everybody from Cross Point Church committed themselves to showing God's love to the people around them on a regular basis throughout this year it would change the town it would change the whole community and I think it would change our church so I just encourage you to think about and look for opportunities that you can be nice and share kindness and joy with the world around you. This morning we're going to do something different today. We're not looking at necessarily a passage of Scripture. I want us to, and I've talked about this in the previous weeks, I'm going to share the story of a guy named David Brainerd. David Brainerd is one of America's first missionaries, and his story is the story of someone who gave their life sharing the love of Christ with other people, telling other people about there is a God and he loves them. I have to tell you that I first heard his story probably 20 years ago when I was at a pastor's conference in Minneapolis and I I fell in love with David Brainerd even though prior to that day I had never heard his name mentioned. And I was at a pastor's conference with uh, Pastor John Piper and he told the story. He took about two hours to tell the story. I'm not going to take that long. But uh, John went into great depth. And then about 10 years ago, I ran across a book with, it was just, I don't know what it was called, missionary stories. And one of those stories in that book was the life of David Brainerd. So I read that part of the book again, and I just got all encouraged. And so my hope and my prayer is that all of us would be encouraged and uh, as we just walk through the life of this young guy who lived 300 years ago. There's, I have two purposes in telling a story like this. And over the years, I've told a number of missionary stories. But for some reason, God just laid it on my heart that we should do that here at Cross Point. So I think there's two reasons why we do this. I think you and I need to be reminded from time to time of the incredible price that men and women who have traveled this earth before us, of the incredible price they paid in order to advance the gospel to people who had never heard about Jesus. And the second reason we tell these stories is because I think it can be an encouragement to us and to our faith when we see what God has done through the life of someone else. So let's jump in. David Brainerd was born on April 20th, 1718 in a little place called Haddam, Connecticut. The population, if we were going to take a bus tour to Haddam, Connecticut, the population today is 7,000. When David Brainerd was born, the population was 500 people. At the time he was born, Haddam, Connecticut had the distinction of being the only town in Connecticut 
who was divided by the Connecticut River. Half of the people lived on one side of the river, half of them lived on the other side. Haddam is about, if we want to picture this, it's about 20 miles south of the city of Hartford. That's that box up there. And it's, so we're 20 miles south, so that Hartford would have been up by Del Rapids someplace. And we're about 100 miles northeast of New York City, which would have been this way, 100 miles, okay? David was, uh, he was born and lived at the same time as, well, here's some of his peers. He was born and lived at the same time as one of America's founding fathers, some guy you've heard of named Ben Franklin. Um, he was born and lived at the same time as Pastor George Whitfield, Pastor Jonathan Edwards, and Pastor John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. When he was born in 1718, no one knew what was coming. But this thing called the Great Awakening was just around the corner. The Great Awakening was a series of Christian revivals in the 1730s and 1740s that swept all across England and all across the northeast corner of what we now call the United States. David Brainerd would have lived through both portions of the Great American, of the Great Awakening before. Now, this is almost painful to say. He lived through both portions of the Great Awakening before he died of tuberculosis at age 29. 29. That's a young age. Brainerd's father was named Hezekiah. He was a Connecticut legislator who died when David was only nine years old. His dad, Hezekiah, was a devoted Puritan, and he pursued a very earnest devotion to God. And one of the spiritual disciplines Hezekiah practiced was fasting. He would fast day after day after day as a way he believed that God would strengthen him and encourage and draw him closer to himself. So he was a firm believer in the spiritual discipline of fasting. Now I'm a, you've heard me preach for a year now, but I can tell you this, I am a firm believer in the sovereignty of God. I believe that Psalm 115.3, and by the way, when I tell you this, Psalm 115.3, I think that verse should be underlined in everyone's Bible who professes faith in Christ. Psalm 115.3. It says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. I'm a strong believer in the sovereignty of God. And I'm also a strong believer that nine-year-old boys need a dad. And yet God, in all his sovereignty, allowed David's dad to die when he was only nine years old. So again... For one more time, in a long list of things in my life, I'm reminded that God is in absolute control of everything that happens, and I'm reminded that I report to him. He doesn't report to me. Brainerd was the sixth child and third son born to Hezekiah and Dorothy. After him came three more children. 
Dorothy had a son from a previous marriage, so now there's 12 people living in this little house. But not for long. Five years after David's dad died, his mom died. Now let me say this again. I'm a strong believer in the sovereignty of God. And I'm a strong believer that 14-year-old kids need parents. And yet God, in all his sovereignty, allowed David's dad to die and then his mother to die before he was even 15 years old. And even though it makes no sense to me, we are all reminded that God is in absolute control of all that happens and we report to him. He doesn't report to us. In addition to losing his parents, now imagine what it's like to be living in the 1700s. In addition to losing his parents, David's brother Nehemiah died at age 32. His brother Israel died at age 23. His sister Jerusha died at age 34. And he died at age 29. Sickness and death and devastation was a regular part of people's lives 300 years ago. But it greatly affected David's life so much that he suffered from depression Even though he only lived a few years, he suffered from depression many of those few years. When his mom died, he moved across the Connecticut River to East Haddam. He lived with his married sister. He described his religious experience during those years. Here's how he described it from his journal. He says, I was very careful and serious, but I had no understanding of God's true grace. When he turned 19, he moved for one year, 10 miles west of where he was living, to the community of Durham, Connecticut. He was going to try his hand at farming. He gave up on that after one year. During that year on the farm, David Brainerd made a commitment to God to enter the ministry. Here's what's interesting. He made a commitment to God to enter the ministry, even though he was still not a Christian. Interesting. He was very religious, And that's all he thought was needed to go into ministry. You had to be religious. He read the Bible that one year when he was farming. He read the entire Bible from cover to cover two times. And he began to see more clearly that all of his religious experience was just legalistic. He was just trying to please God with his good works and he had no relationship with Christ. He admitted in his journals there was absolutely no goodness in all his prayers. None. He never prayed for God's glory to be revealed. He never once, he said in his journal, that whole year when he was reading through the Bible cover to cover and he was having devotions, he said there was never a single time in that whole year where from my devotions I applied a single thing to my life. Nothing. But then the miracle happened. He was born again. And this is what it says in his journal. Let me read it. Half an hour before sunset at the age of 21, I was in a lonely place trying to pray. As I was walking in a dark, thick grave, unspeakable glory seemed to open to the view and apprehension of my soul. It was a new inward experience or view that I'd had of God, such as I'd never had before, nor anything that I had the least remembrance of it. I had no particular apprehension of any one person of the Trinity, either the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, but it appeared to be divine glory and splendor that I then beheld. And my soul rejoiced with joy unspeakable to see such a God, such a glorious divine being, 
And I was inwardly pleased and satisfied that he should be God over all forever and ever. Thus the Lord, I trust, brought me to a hearty desire to exalt him, to set him on the throne, and to seek first his kingdom. In his journal, he tells us that that took place on a Sunday, the Lord's Day, July 12th, 1739. He was 21 years old when he became a Christian. Two months later, he enrolled at Yale University to be a pastor. Yale University at that time was a wonderful Christian school, just like Harvard. Today, they're both, they've lost track of where they were started 300 years ago. And I would never recommend anybody to go either one of those schools, even if they had a full ride. It'll just destroy your faith. But back then, Yale was a Christian university, and that's where he applied. And it made sense that he would go to school because Yale was only 40 or 50 miles down the road from where he was living. When he came to Yale, the spiritual climate, he said, was very liberal. One day, one day the professors heard him making a statement against the faculty and their lack of spirituality. And even though he was the top student academically, and he was already in his third year at the university, he was instantly kicked out of the school. Because to speak against the faculty, even if they were liberal in their theology or did have any theology, you were instantly kicked out of the school. Being expelled from Yale, he says in his book, hurt him deeply and simply added to his already multiple stages of depression. He tried again and again to get back into school. He had friends that would write letters to the president almost begging for permission to allow David Brainerd to enter back into Yale and allow him to finish his studies, but it never happened. They kicked him out and never invited him back. And it seems as though Brainerd, enjoying studying and uh, planning on earning a degree in ministry, that was his plan. God had another plan. God knew. God, see, God knew what David Brainerd did not know. God knew that from that moment on, he was only going to live a few more years. And so instead of allowing him to be a pastor of a local church, God's plan was that he would become a missionary to the Indians. Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Now, I would guess that, um, well, I've had conversations with everybody in the room and I would guess at some point, you and I have had this same experience. I would guess at some point, and perhaps multiple points in each one of our lives, I won't ask for a show of hands. How many of us have ever made our plans? We decided what we're supposed to do. Then we asked God to bless our plans, and then God shows us what he wants to do. We've all done that. We, we're all guilty of, I'm not saying every time we make a decision, but we've all at more than one time made a plan for what we were going to do. What we were going to do, we made the plan, and then we asked God to bless it. We asked God to bless our plans rather than being open to his plan for us. That's what happened with David. And just like we studied in the book of Jonah, Whenever that was three or four or five weeks ago, God will do whatever needs to be done in order for his plans to be accomplished. God's plan for Brainerd 
David Brainerd was not to be a pastor. Now, there's a part of me when I reread his part of his journal this last week, there's a part of me you have to understand that I mean the average person on the street, those of us who are believers and we're very respectful of what happens in churches, it's hard to imagine that God could have something planned more than this young guy who wanted to be a pastor. No, God says, no, I don't want you to be a pastor. I want you to be a missionary. Even before he was kicked out of Yale, and that's the only way to describe it, his experience was somewhat difficult, even though he was the smartest guy on campus. There was hazing by upperclassmen, very little, he says, spirituality, difficult studies, and he was ill oftentimes and had to leave the campus and go home for weeks on end during those first few years. The second year he was sent home because he was so sick, he was spitting up blood. So even in the early age, even before it was diagnosed, he now realizes he already was stricken with tuberculosis. And it would only be seven years before he would die. The amazing thing may not be that he died so early and accomplished so little, but that being as sick as he was, he accomplished so much. When Brainerd began to understand God's sovereign plan for his life, he had never thought of being a missionary to the Indians. The thought had never entered his mind. Now he had to rethink his whole life. But there was a law that had just recently been passed that you could not be the pastor of a church in Connecticut unless you had graduated from Harvard or Yale. And here he is, top of his class, kicked out and couldn't get back in. That experience, he says later, just added more depression to the depression he was already struggling with. There are some Christian scholars and historians who have wondered And I think this is a great question. They've wondered whether the modern missionary movement that was so repeatedly inspired by Brainerd's commitment would have happened if David Brainerd had not been expelled from Yale and cut off from his hopes of serving God as a pastor. In the summer of 1742, a group of pastors in what we now call New England, they were all involved with this Christian revival called the Great Awakening, and they were sympathetic toward young David Brainerd. And on November 25, 1742, they appointed him as a missionary to the Indians. Now, this is where his ministry begins. He spent the winter of 1742 serving a church on Long Island down in New York City. I'll bet that was a different place in 1742 than it is today. But he went to New York City. He served the church so that he could enter the wilderness. That's how he calls it in his book. He could enter the wilderness in the spring. His first assignment was the Hasatonic Indians at Conomique, about 20 miles northwest of Stockbridge, Massachusetts, where Edwards would serve as a missionary to the Indians. Every tribe had its own name, of course. Every tribe had its own language. There's no McDonald's on the corner. There's no roads. There's no cars. There's no combustion engines. There's no hospitals. Not only is there no McDonald's and Burger King and IHOP and all those other things, there's no hotels. 
There's no Jefferson bus lines. There's nothing. And when it says he enters the wilderness, I, I don't even think we can comprehend when he was traveling from one place to the other what that was like. He arrived with his first visit to the Hasatanic Indians on April 1st, 1743, and he started a school for Indian children. This is where good news clubs began, okay? Or Awana. And he translated some of the Psalms into their language. Then came an assignment to go to another group of Indians along the Delaware River in Pennsylvania. On May 1st, 1744, he left Canameek and settled in the forks of the Delaware. Now he's northeast of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. At the end of the month, he rode to Newark, New Jersey to be now rode. That's on horseback. He rode to Newark, New Jersey to be examined by the Newark Presbytery, and he was ordained on June 11, 1744. At this time, he's now 26 years old. The following years, he visited the Indians at Cross Week, New Jersey, and within a week, can you, oh no, within a year, excuse me, within a year of arriving with this Indian tribe, he had led 130 people to faith in Christ. Think of the, what God, the revival that was taking place way out east in the middle of nowhere where they'd never heard about God's love. They'd never even heard about God. They'd never heard about Jesus. Within a year, he has 130 people in this new church. He stayed with these Indians until his, well, until his battles with depression and tuberculosis made him so sick he had to take time off. Here's his journal entry. On September 21st, 1746, he wrote this, I was so weak I could not preach nor could I ride over to see my other people. All afternoon, I simply sat in my chair, too weak to leave my small sleeping room, which had been provided by the Indians. I don't know what goes through your mind when you picture a small sleeping room that's been provided by the Indians in 1740-something. What would that have even been like? There's no heat. There's no running water. There's no electricity. There's no bathroom. And he is so sick, he can't hardly get out of bed. I returned to my lodging extremely, extremely tired, unable to sleep because of all the pain and weariness. Six days later, he wrote this in his journal, I spent today as well as the entire previous week under a great degree of bodily weariness. I had no appetite of any kind for any food and often threw up what I tried to eat. Most days I was too weak to walk. Whether I will ever recover or not seems doubtful. In November 1746, he left there to spend the next four months trying to recuperate in Elizabethtown at the home of Pastor Jonathan Dixon. The following spring, on March 20, 1747, he made one last visit to his Indian friends and then by horseback rode to the house of Pastor Jonathan Edwards in Northampton, Massachusetts, Arriving May 28, 1747, he made one trip to Boston during the summer and then returned to Edward's house where he died of tuberculosis on October 9, 1747. It was a short life. 29 years, 5 months, and 19 days. Is there anybody here that's 29 years old besides me? Tyler is 29 years old. 28? Twenty-nine years. Only eight of those years as a Christian. 
in only four of those eight years as a missionary. But the influence of his missionary and the, his missionary journeys and the impact he created in the world is still being felt. There are a long list of missionaries. I'm going to read just a half a dozen of these. There's a long list of the missionaries who all claim that the reason they're missionaries is because they fell in love with David Brainerd's journals and felt called by God to leave up their, give up their life of comfort and become missionaries around the world. William Carey became a missionary to India because of the journals of David Brainerd. Robert Morrison, same thing, became a missionary to China. Robert McShane, missionary to Scotland. John Mills became the founding board member of an organization called America Foreign Missionaries. Frederick Schwartz in Germany found copies of David journals. David Brainerd's journals became a missionary to India. David Livingston read Brainerd's journals, became a missionary to Africa. Andrew Murray read Brainerd's journals, became a South African pastor who considered missions work to be the most important work of the church. And then Jim Elliott, the American, who was killed in Ecuador in 1956, said that he felt called by God to become a missionary because of falling in love with the way God spoke to him through reading David Brainerd's journals. All these men, plus hundreds more, credit David Brainerd's example as why they became missionaries. Now, we're almost done. In May of 1747, this is the year he died. In May of 1747 at Jonathan Edwards' house, the doctors told Brainerd that he had incurable coughing and he did not have long to live. In the last couple months of his life, the suffering was incredible. Here's his journal entry on September 24th, just less than a month before he died. In the greatest distress that I ever endured, having an uncommon kind of cough, which either strangled me or threw me into a strain to vomit, the thought of enduring it one minute longer was unbearable. What amazes most of his readers of his diaries and journals is not just the severity of David's suffering in the days before antibiotics and painkillers. He lived before antibiotics and painkillers. He suffered from depression and tuberculosis before there was even any medicine. What amazes most people is that how relentless the sickness was. It was almost always there. He battled both depression and tuberculosis at the same time for years on end, and yet he never quit. He never quit his ministry. He continued to be faithful to the end of his life. Sometimes Sometimes, as he thought about all the struggles in his life, he blamed his own sinfulness. At other times in his diaries, it says he longed for death. And if you read his story, you can't help but wonder, how much, how much can one person endure? He was committed to sharing God's love with people who had never heard of Jesus and what he had done for them on the cross. The, now, here's the end of his story. The last 19 weeks of his life, Jerusha Edwards, that's John, Pastor Jonathan Edwards' daughter, the last 19 weeks of his life, Jerusha, at 17 years of age, was his nurse. And many people speculate that there was a great friendship between the two of them. But in the wilderness and in the ministry, he was all alone. And he could only pour out his soul to God. And God yet helped him and kept him going. He, he was gripped by this verse, 
He called it his apostolic admonition. It's from Ephesians chapter 5. Now this is David Brainerd felt compelled to keep going because of what Paul told the church in Ephesus. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Brainerd did not want to be accused of wasting his life. Pastor Jonathan Edwards also believed in the sovereignty of God. Even though he must have known it probably cost him the life of his daughter to have Brainerd living in his home with that incurable disease of tuberculosis. Jerusha had tended Brainerd as a nurse for the last 19 weeks of his life and four months after David Brainerd died, Jonathan Edwards' daughter died from the same terrible disease. There will be hundreds, perhaps thousands of Indians from 300 years ago who we will meet when we get to heaven, who are there because David Brainerd persevered in telling those people about Jesus 300 years ago. Now, as we think about how we can share God's love with the people in Sioux Falls, I want, to, I want to encourage you. Let's never forget how, how some of the things that we can do will make a difference in somebody else's life. How small and sometimes seemingly insignificant whatever it is that we do, that we do, can make an eternal difference in somebody else's life. Here's the last words that he wrote before he died, October 2nd, 1749. My soul was this day at turn sweetly set on God. I longed to be with him that I might behold his glory. I felt sweetly disposed to commit all to him, even my dearest friends, my dearest flock, my absent brother, and all my concerns for time and eternity. Oh, that his kingdom might come in the world, that they might all love and glorify him for what he is in himself and that that blessed Redeemer might see of the travail of my soul and be satisfied. O come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. He died on October 9th, 1747. He's buried in Northampton, Connecticut. And right beside his grave is the grave of Jerusha Edwards, Jonathan Edwards' daughter. May God help all of us and encourage all of us to share his love to this lost and dying world that we live in. Let's close in prayer, and then we're going to ask the ushers to come and take our offering. Lord, we thank you for uh, people like David Brainerd who have gone before us and have made an eternal difference in this world. And God, we're grateful for what I believe to be hundreds of other people who have done very similar things, but their stories were never written down. But Lord, help us to be encouraged and help us to be respectful of this guy who lived so many years ago and who persevered through so many trials and tribulations of life and how faithful he was. And Lord, how you blessed him in that one Indian tribe in particular for hundreds of people coming to faith in Jesus. Lord, we ask that you'd give us all opportunities, even in the next week, that we could just a touch of love and a touch of grace in somebody's life, just a prayer for somebody. 
that we could make a difference. Lord, thank you for allowing us to gather together this morning. Thank you for this offering that uh, we're about to take. We ask that, as we prayed so many times, that you'd be with the leaders here at Cross Point, that they would continue to be good stewards of all that's entrusted into your care. We thank you for each gift. We ask that you'd watch over us until we can come back together again next week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.